also read verse number 19, verses 12 and 19. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 12, the Bible says this is the Apostle Paul, of course, writing, and he's speaking expressly to his young protege, Timmy, or Timothy. He maybe Paul called him Timmy, I don't know. But he speaks to him and he's writing to him here. And in verse 12 he says to him, Fight the good fight of faith. And uh, Jude says something uh, along the same lines that we are to fight the good fight of faith. That doesn't mean fight one another. It doesn't mean bicker and fuss about things in church. It means to know what the gospel proclaims and then fight to proclaim it. It does not mean to defend God, for God needs no defense. He stands on His own. But it does mean in this age of skeptics and unbelievers to stand true and stand strong and fight the good fight of faith. And then He says, Lay hold on eternal life, Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now if you'll turn to verse number 19. The Bible says, Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You'll find that phrase in verse 12. And in verse number 19. And so we find that the Bible tells uh, Timothy, Paul told Timothy, and rightly so the Bible therefore tells us that are saved by the grace of God in two places here that we are to lay hold upon eternal life. And I want to take a few minutes this morning and that's the subject matter, laying hold on eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the great crowd of your people, Lord, that have come despite the weather and other obstacles. Lord, we thank you. And I pray this morning you would help me to deliver this sermon the way that God would have it to be done and help all of us to hear what the Lord has to say to us. We'll thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. When I read this, uh, these verses the other day, as so many times when I'm reading through the Bible, that phrase, lay hold on eternal life, literally it seemed as if it jumped off of the pages and down into the depths of my heart. And and when you read the Bible and something just stands out to you and it seems to mean more to you than the other words around it, uh, it's a good chance that that is the Spirit of God uh, speaking to your heart. And I thank God for every single time that He does life. Well, the Bible says to lay hold on eternal life. And as I began to think about that and think about what that might mean to me as a child of God, I began to think about what eternal life really is. And in the Bible, we know that eternal life, first of all, is a gift. 
It's a gift that God has given and offered to every one of us. The Bible says in Romans 6 and 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for that. And so eternal life we know is a gift. But I want to suggest that eternal life is not only a gift, but it is a promise from God as well. The Bible says in 1 John 2.25, And this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. And when we think about uh, eternal life, we think that eternal life is also not only a gift, not only is it a promise, but eternal life literally is a position. Now you think about John 5 and 24 where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. And so eternal life is pictured as a distinct position. That is, there was a day in my life when I was positioned under the wrath of God. Born as a natural born sinner, uh, I was not immediately upon my physical birth in the family of God. But there was a day, thank God Almighty, when I trusted in the Lord and He saved me by His grace and my position, that is my standing before God, drastically changed. No longer was I a sinner condemned unto death because of the wrath of God, but I was adopted into the family of God and my position went from if I died then to going to eternal hell to when I die now, going to the bosom of the Father. And so eternal life is a position And before I go any further this morning, I would ask you to examine yourself and ask yourself before God alone as a witness, God, do I stand in the position of saved by the grace of God or am I still lost in my sin? We learn something else about eternal life in the Bible. Eternal life is also a calling. Right here in our scripture, 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says to fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. In other words, those of us that are saved by the grace of God and God has wonderfully delivered us from this dilemma of sin, it is only because God himself loved us, gave himself for us, and then called our name and brought us unto himself. Now in the light of what eternal life is, Timothy, or Paul tells young Timothy, he says, lay hold on that. Lay hold on that. The phrase lay hold in our Bible, it comes from a Greek word that is used 19 other times in the Bible. The Greek word is translated lay hold upon in 
First uh, Timothy six twelve. But the same word is translated a little bit different in other places. And to give us an idea, I want to tell you about Matthew fourteen and thirty one. Uh, that word is translated caught in our English word, C-A-U-G-H-T, caught. The Bible says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And you know that's when Peter, uh, with faith, stepped out of the boat and walked toward Jesus. But he took his eyes off of the Lord. He began to doubt. Peter said, Lord, save me. And the Bible says Jesus stretched forth his hand and he caught him. It means the same thing to lay hold on. There's another instance in the Bible. uh, For example, Luke 20 and verse 26, the Bible says... And they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer and held their peace. This is where the Pharisees had concocted a plan to catch Jesus in what he was saying and thereby twist his words and use them despitefully against him. But I love what the Bible says. The Bible says that they could not take hold of his words. I guess the Bible's true when it says that uh, the things of God are spiritually discerned and those that are unsaved, uh, they just cannot understand them. The Pharisees tried to lay hold on Jesus' words, but they couldn't, the Bible says means the same thing to lay hold on. And then one more. I like this one. The Bible says in Mark 8, 23, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit upon his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught. And so in that verse, the two words, to two English words, he took the blind man by the hand is the same meaning as to lay hold upon eternal life. So I hope you get the picture here. Uh, What it means is to seize. Just like Jesus caught Peter, he seized the hold on him. It means to grab. It means to catch something. And so if we look at it in that light, to lay hold upon eternal life is to seize the moment. It is to catch what God has given unto us. It is to take the position as saved by the grace of God and to do something with it. So I ask you this morning, are you laying hold on eternal life? I want to say every one of us can lay hold on eternal life by learning the keys that are involved with it. Key number one, I want you to see the problem that is involved. The problem that is involved. Now you don't have to be saved long to know that there is a war inside of every child of God. And that war is between the flesh that we are housed in 
and the spirit that God has birthed anew in us. And I tell you what, that war rages in each one of us. Notice first of all, if you will, there is a temptation and then there is, in a moment we'll see, a trouble. The temptation is found in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6. The Bible says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so here the Bible lays out a great temptation for you and I. And the temptation is to literally love what God has blessed us with more than we love the God that gave it to us. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh preacher, shoo, good thing I don't fall into that category of the rich. Matter of fact, if you're like me, you've got somebody in your mind who is rich and you're thinking, I bet these verses are for them. That's exactly what I did the first time I read these verses. And then God, like he always does, brought it full circle and right back to me. You see, if you'll read in verse 8 or 7 and 8, right above this verse, the Bible puts riches into context. The Bible says in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain... We can carry nothing out. It goes on to say, And having therefore food and raiment, let us be content. So the thought here is, every single thing that you and I have above our nakedness qualifies for our riches. I wonder if you got that, because it took me a while too. You say, but compared to so-and-so, I'm poor. Compared to the Bible, we didn't bring nothing into this world. We'll take nothing out, and therefore, the clothes you have, the car you drive, the house I own, everything about me makes me rich in this world. And the temptation is to love this stuff more than we love our God. There's also a trouble. The trouble is found in verse 10. And that verse tells us, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of days that I have lived after becoming a Christian that I have lived with many sorrows and you know what I found out those many sorrows are usually trouble that was brought on by the temptation in my life to enjoy stuff more than live for my God that is to enjoy what God has given me more than lay hold on the eternal life that he's given me 
The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. And I found out I am no different from no man. When, uh, when April and I moved here to Coleman, we, God was, was moving in our life in such a great way, and I thank him for that. We owned a home in North Augusta where we lived, and we had owned that home for eight, seven or eight years. And when you own a home for, uh, for any time, you get to, if you're like me, you get to enjoying home ownership. I mean, it's nice to have a place to call yours. Well, yours and the bank, say amen right there. And uh, I, I, I don't have no problem telling you, I got to where I thought I had to own a home. And so we sold the one in North Augusta, and preacher Malcolm said, he counseled me, he said, you ought to just rent something over here until, you know, you figure out, uh, uh, you know, the area and, and these different things. You ought to rent something. And I did like so many of you probably done before. I took it all in, but it went in this ear and out the other one. And I said to myself, I'm going to buy me a house with some land. And I used the excuse, well, about everything over there in, in Coleman County, I mean, comes with land anyway. And kind of it seems to, more so than where I lived or came from, Augusta. And so I had it in my crawl that, that we had to have a house and we had to have a couple acres and, and I had to have a place for the kids to run and all of this. And somehow that became more important even when I was giving myself to God. <laughs> Several weeks ago we were in a missionary conference, a missions conference in, in uh, Maryland. And I didn't get to preach. I just had to sit and listen all five nights. Which at first, that kind of got to me. But at, by the time it was over, I realized that God wanted me not to say a word, just to listen because he had something for us. Halfway through that conference, April, my wife came to me. And boy, she had big old tears. She said, honey, she said, I think God wants us to sell our house. I said, you must be crazy. We hadn't even lived in it seven months yet. What do you mean sell our house? That week the preacher had preached every night on the value of souls. And my wife now, I'm supposed to be the one that's going after the people. She says, honey, she said there's homeless people dying every day and we have to come home to mow? And take care? She said if we sell that house and, uh, and we can get on the road and stay out there, she said you can do so much more for God. By this time, I began to cry. We sat there and we bowed our heads and we prayed and we said, God, if it's your will, we'll put a for sale sign in the yard when we get home. God, if it's your will, we'll change our direction because don't you know this, the more you have, the more you want. And so we came to that place where we said, okay, God, maybe we made a mistake. You know best. We don't want trouble 
We want to have a good testimony that we have laid hold on eternal life. Let me give you the second key involved. Not only is there the problem involved with laying hold on eternal life, but there is a perception that is involved. A perception involved. Now in verse number 11, Paul says this, But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. There's a perception involved. I want you to see, first of all, a blessed view. A blessed view. Paul did not write to Timothy and say, hey, kid. He didn't say, hey, boy. He said, but thou. Oh, man of God. You ever, you ever have just a little word in the Bible mean something to you? You see, in these verses above this, the Apostle Paul, he says, they that will be rich will fall into these hurtful lusts, pierce themselves through. But then he, he draws a contrast. He says, but thou. In other words, you are different. Can I tell you something? If you're saved by the grace of God, that is you know the Lord is your Savior and you possess this free gift of eternal life, you fit into the but thou. In other words, there are those who don't care about the will of God. There are those doing their own thing, but we do care. Say amen. But thou. In other words, he's saying there is a blessed View. Can I ask you this morning, how is it that you view yourself? I want to submit to you that if you don't view yourself as very blessed and highly favored of God Almighty, you may be in danger of never laying hold on eternal life. Somebody says, well, I'm just an old drunk that got saved. I want to say something to you. There is truth in that statement. The, 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 the untrue part is, I'm just. You may be an old drunk that God saved, but that is not all you are. You're a child of God. You've been born into the family of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You say, but preacher, but preacher, I, I still struggle. That, and that's because I'll always be an alcoholic. No! You struggle because you're not an alcoholic anymore. You're a baby Christian. And so, the Bible, where's the Bible, preacher? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. The Bible speaks of in verse 9 and 10 about whoremongers and adulterers and all this stuff. And then Paul says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I don't know many drunkards who are washed and are sanctified and are justified but I know a whole heap of people who used to be that and now are that say amen so there's a blessed view 
and number two, a balanced view. But thou, watch this, O man of God. It's as if the apostle is saying, you need to view yourself as blessed, 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 but hang on, don't let it go to your head, son. It's all of God. He didn't say, but thou, O man of greatness. He didn't say, thou, O man of great moral character, now that you have been redeemed. He didn't say, O thou, thou, O man of better than your neighbor. He said, but thou, O man of God. And didn't, wasn't it Jesus that said in John 15, 5, for without me, ye can do nothing. So how ought we to perceive ourselves? Shouldn't we perceive ourselves on one hand, praise God, highly favored, and on the other hand, oh, without Jesus, none of it would be possible. And right in the middle, we say, praise God for what he's done in my life. That will keep a man praising and humble. How do you perceive yourself? There's somebody here this morning and you've not gone what we would say all the way for God because you don't think you are worthy. Don't argue with God. Just lay hold on eternal life. Amen. Hey, there was a nine-year-old missionary kid that was at our church one time at Victory in North Augusta. His family was missionaries to Romania. This little boy's name, I think, was Joshua. And I went into the bathroom before service, and Joshua had a couple of men from our church hemmed up in the corner telling them all about Romania. They had asked him a question, and boy, he obliged them. And the one thing that stood out to me, uh, he said, he told them guys, he said, He said, I'm one too. And boy, I tell you what, that made an impact on me. Because so many times, I'll go around wondering, my goodness, does God have anything for me? Here's a nine-year-old child that sees himself usable in the eyes of God. Let me give you another key. Notice not only the problem involved, the perception involved, but there is a passion involved with laying hold on eternal life. A passion. The Bible says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Can I tell you this? We won't lay hold on eternal life if we're not passionate about it. I know what you say. You say, oh preacher, you're talking about our different attitudes. Some people are very outward and some people are introverts. 
Some people love to praise God, but, 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 but I don't. No, I'm not talking about that at all. What I am speaking of now is having a passion for living our lives for God. And I believe it's clearly laid out here. Let me say this. No fighter has ever stepped into the ring and done anything if he wasn't passionate about it. Let me tell you this, or submit this to you. The best place to find passion, and I'll listen, the best place to find passion is in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm just not a passionate person. I mean, I agree with it. Let me give you Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 7. The Bible says he is despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now watch verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb so he openeth not his mouth. That is an account of the sufferings of the one we call Savior. Now here's my argument. If the Lord Jesus Christ was not passionately committed to the will of God the Father and the salvation of your soul and my soul, he would not have suffered. Amen? Now, if our very Lord was so passionate about following the will of God the Father, how ought we to be? John chapter 17, this isn't in the notes, but in John chapter 17, that chapter is called the holiest of holies in John's gospel. The whole chapter is Jesus praying to the Father. This is one thing he said in his prayer. He said, Father, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I send them into the world. Now, if we've been sent into the world by the Lord Jesus and called to be possessors of life eternal, don't you think we ought to lay hold upon it and be passionate about what we do? I tell you what, you say, well, what is passion, preacher? Passion is, is you're passionate about something when you love it more than you love yourself. I'm passionate about 
my wife. I'm passionate about my children. And I'm passionate about my God and what he's called me to do. You know, we were in Asheville, North Carolina last weekend. And I was able, we were ministering to the homeless. That's one of the cities that God has led us to work in. And we saw a veteran, looked like a veteran. His sign said, homeless veteran needs help. He was on the side of Interstate 240 at the bottom of the ramp. We had a whole team of people with us, and we had hot sausage biscuits and hot coffee we were uh, using to get to meet these people and give them something. We had our trailer full of supplies, and we pulled up, and as soon as I, I went to hand him something, the light turned green. I was driving, and, and I joked with my buddy because uh, we pulled up about four more car lengths, and the homeless man was four cars behind us standing there for the next guy. And uh, I joked with my buddy because we got stopped. I said, why don't you get out and go witness to him? We were just cutting up. And boy, as soon as I said it, God said, why don't you get out, preacher, and you go witness to him? I said, y'all take the wheel. And I dove out of the car and the light turned green and they left. And I walked up to this man and he looked at me with big old eyes as if to say, you just got out of your car to talk to me. I introduced myself. He said, my name is Corn." At first I thought, that's a weird first name, Corn." And then I put two and two together. He was a Navy vet, and, and usually they never introduce themselves by their first name. It's always their last. And I said, oh, Mr. Corn." And we stood there on the side of the road, and I shared a cup of coffee with him and a biscuit, and I got to tell him, that there is a God in heaven that loves even him and me. And then we bought Chick-fil-A for him and his partner, Warren. Warren has a nickname. His nickname is Popeye because this right eye stays shut and, and, and this eye is squinted and he's hunched over, he's real short, and he talks with a gravel voice like this. And everybody on the street calls him Popeye. And me and three of the guys that were with me, we got to sit in the median on the side of Interstate 240 in Asheville under a big old uh, fir tree and eat Chick-fil-A with these two homeless men and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Preacher, did they get miraculously saved? Not that I know of. It didn't happen when I was there. But I'll tell you what did happen. I got to passionately give the gospel story to these two men. Can I ask you today, are you passionate about the things of God? Now let me give you the last one. There is, we've learned that if we're going to lay hold on eternal life, there's a passion that is involved, there is a perception involved, and there is a problem involved. But can I say this to you? There's a promise that is involved for every one of us who are laying hold on eternal life. What is the promise? Well, look at verse number 14. He says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, now watch this, until the appearing 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. That went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. That's bad, ain't it? Watch what it says now. Paul tells him. He says, all this stuff I'm telling you. He says, you need to keep this commandment without spot. Unrebukable. But there is a time frame given. He doesn't say, do this for all eternity. He does not say, strive forever and ever and ever and ever. He says, you need to keep this. You need to lay hold on eternal life until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a day, there is a time coming, Brother Chris mentioned it, that heaven will take care of all this. Now some of us say, well, I would. I would really live for God, but I'm telling you, I can't do that forever. You don't have to do it forever. Only until the Lord appears. And then as the songwriter said, our faith will end in sight. There's coming a day I won't even have to believe on Jesus anymore. Preacher, what do you mean? I'm going to see him face to face. I'm going to cast my crowns down at his feet. I'm telling you, it won't take a lick of faith that day. So the promise is one that will challenge us. Promise is one that will convict us. The promise is one that should comfort us. Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also give God a hand clap of praise for that promise. The thought here is, and I'm done, the thought is right in the middle of laying hold on eternal life. One day we're going to be living for God. One day we're going to be fighting temptation. One day we're going to be fleeing from this unrighteousness. And one day right in the middle. Praise God we'll be called away. One day the, the, the sky shall split wide open. Jesus shall ascend and, or descend. And, and then we shall ascend. Paul in another place said, we shall not prevent them which are asleep. We which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them to meet the, Lord's in the Lord in the clouds. And there shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The invitation is simple. For the Christian, are you laying hold on eternal life? That is... Are you grabbing a hold of what God has given you? Are you catching a hold of it? And if you've never trusted the Lord, Christianity is not a moral improvement program. 
I'm not asking you to live some life you can't live. I'm asking you to come to where there's a God that can live his life through you and give your heart and life to God this morning. Let's all stand. I believe these folks are going to get something together for us and they're going to sing. Let's go right into a word of prayer while the altar workers get together. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Let me ask you this morning, very soberly and sincerely, 